Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. And I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. We're podcasting from Northeast Ohio. This is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of our series on the power of political and civic engagement. We're talking with local elected officials, public officials, and community activists to learn more about what civic and political engagement means to them and how they're involved in their communities. If you want to be involved in the podcast and get behind-the-scenes content about each episode, head on over to patreon.com slash growingdemocracyoh. So, Ashley, <laughs> happy, happy New Year. It's our happy first New recording. Year. Our first recording of the new year. Uh, so happy new year to you and to our listeners. It's great to be back again and with such a great guest. I know. I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, and it, it feels like it's been so long since we've co-hosted an episode together. <laughs> yes, um, yes. I've had a few people reach out and say, when when are you getting the old team back together? <laughs> I said, no time soon. Don't you worry. No. Yeah. Uh, it's, I know it's been great recording this. And the fun thing about this is that, so we get to talk to right a community organizer, somebody who's working in community development, which, you know, we've talked to people like that before, but um, to really kind of suss out with this person who I think has a very unique perspective on right, what community means and like how that is you know shaped and and on how other things have kind of formed for him uh the, yeah. the sense and space of community i and i really like um in this episode how we really are able to dig into all the different ways that our life experiences inform how we engage with community or our relationship to different communities whether that's um through understandings or various understandings of leadership development to kind of being in space. I mean, just, there's so many different layers um, in our conversation to unpack that I'm really excited today um, to have with us Phil Kidd. Phil Kidd is the special projects manager for Northwest Neighborhood CDC in Cleveland. And for nearly 15 years previous to Previous to his move to the land, he served in a variety of community development roles in Youngstown, where he still remains an active board member of the Youngstown Neighborhood Development Corporation. Phil has a master's degree from Youngstown State in criminal justice. His thesis focused on the effect of neighborhood-based community development's impact on crime in older industrial cities by way of a case study of Youngstown. He is currently pursuing a PhD in urban studies and public affairs at Cleveland State University. It's great to have you with us, Phil. Phil, it is so great to have you here. We're really excited for you to join us on the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So, um, this is our first recording back after break. So I, I think we're all going to um, <laughs> take take a few minutes to break in our, our recording of series two here. But I would like to just, I guess, break the ice with a general question on have you tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I grew up uh, in Western Pennsylvania. So that is something that a lot of people, because I've spent most of my career time in Northeast Ohio, uh, a lot of folks, uh, when initially, they don't realize that I'm actually from the Pittsburgh area. So um, I grew up in a small town outside of Pittsburgh, uh, kind of in between Steubenville, Ohio, and in Pittsburgh. And uh, this was like kind of a uh, probably uh, probably best to be described as kind of like a, a commuting community to either the steel mills in Pittsburgh or in the Weirton Steubenville area. And my family worked in the steel mills in Weirton, West Virginia. And so I kind of grew up in between both Pittsburgh and Weirton and Steubenville, spent a lot of my time, uh, my, my youth in both those areas. Cause while my family worked at Weirton still, my grandfather's my uncle. So I spent a lot of time with my parents worked in community development and housing in Western Pennsylvania. So we'd spent a lot of time in Washington, PA, Pittsburgh, places like that. So my DNA growing up was a little bit of mix of um, these smaller older industrial communities, but also a larger understanding of kind of how community development housing related work happens also in, you know, probably mid-sized cities comparable to the size of Cleveland, Akron. 
So um, yeah, when I was 18, I, that how I ended up in Northeast Ohio is I went to Youngstown State University and fell in love with that uh, community. Um, and when I graduated, I was in the ROTC program there and I, I was an officer in the military for four years. And at the time, Youngstown was going through a really big uh, community planning process. And that's what initially drew me back to Youngstown was to participate in that and got pretty involved there. And that began kind of my my um, my path into community planning uh, or community development, city planning type work. Uh, and it's been uh, probably now 15 years that I've been in doing this work, actually 15 to 20, somewhere in between there. But uh, that, that's how I ended up here in Northeast Ohio and by extension Cleveland later on. So you've worked in a variety of settings and I know we'll have the opportunity to kind of talk about each of these. Um, so you've worked in neighborhood organizing, you launched a social enterprise, um, you're now working in community development corporation here in Cleveland, but can you tell us a little bit about this journey and how all of those experiences shaped your understanding of community? Yeah, sure. So when I was 18, the mills in Weirton were still active. And I remember actively going with my uncles through the steel mills. Uh, the community center, which was built by the uh, Weirton Steel Corporation, was a time that I spent pretty much all my youth. Um, and so I, my memory of that era of this region uh, was one that was where you still had like a thriving industrial base in the community. But then when I was 18 and went away to college, um, the mill there started to experience rapid decline. And so Weirton started to experience as a community some really significant challenges. And Youngstown, of course, was at that point in time, probably close to 30 years beyond where Weirton was at, probably at that point in time, as far as losing the, its primary industry base. And so that's what really piqued my interest, particularly in getting involved in this work. My parents did this type of work, as I mentioned before. Um, in the in the Pitts, greater Pittsburgh area. And I was really kind of too young to fully understand uh, what exactly they, they did for a living. I, I generally understood it, but um, it wasn't really until I got really deeply involved in Youngstown in particular. And so my path to this really was actually when I came back from the military, Youngstown was uh, the planning process that was something called Youngstown 2010, where they were trying to basically revision the community. I was really intrigued by this attended as many of the community meetings I could, uh, went to the final meeting where 3,000 people showed up at uh, the public auditorium in the downtown area, uh, a lot of community energy. And I wanted to find a way how I could contribute to this. There was a guy who was the planning director at that time who decided to run for mayor, a guy named Jay Williams. I joined his campaign. He won. And so um, I got more involved, more from a city hall perspective. I was on the Human Relations Commission. I was uh, the vice president of his mayor's foundation, all these things. But I personally wanted to find a way to contribute. So <laughs> what I did was I came up with this idea called Defend Youngstown, which was an idea I borrowed from New Orleans and Brooklyn. They both had these defend concepts for different reasons. Uh, and my idea was to just basically kind of create a symbol uh, that would try to get people involved in like what was happening in the community. I really didn't know what I was doing. So I stood in the middle of downtown and held this sign up on uh, weekend nights. And people would come up and they would talk to me and, uh, you know, probably half the people said, you're young, you know, what are you doing here? This is, you know, you, you, you're college educated, you, you're an officer in the military, you could go anywhere, what are you doing? But just as many people said, you know, this is exactly what we need. We need people to kind of draw a line, get involved. And so that turned into a, a blog because this is really before social media was kind of a mainstream thing. And basically, I was summarizing community and economic development news happening in Youngstown. I was interviewing um, uh, different, you know, either local officials or community activists. Uh, and then it was also made popular by a t-shirt. Someone said, Hey, listen, this is a cool logo. You should just spread the word. You should put this on a shirt and then people will wear the shirt. And then, you know, but so I was, it was really, uh, uh, a way really to get people to drive traffic to the blog. So people would read and, and learn about how they can connect in on. So in my time in Youngstown, I was the uh, events and uh, special projects director that led to a position with community organizing group called the Mahoning Valley Organizing Collaborative. And I was a neighborhood organizer for about uh, between four and five years as the lead neighborhood organizer. So I went into the neighborhoods, every neighborhood in the city of Youngstown, work with either existing block clubs or help form new uh, neighborhood associations, 
really, really great work. That was really where I cut my teeth, learned more about almost anything that I do now. It's informed most of my work, my career to this point. Um, and uh, led a few campaigns, some around vacant property, some around good government, uh, did a lot of different direct actions. Uh, it was really, really great. At the same time, Youngstown did not have any community development CDC capacity, and they, that was forming simultaneously. So uh, that was born out of the organizing work. And I remain a board member with the Community Development Corporation, although I'm here in Cleveland, and they're about 10 years in doing great work. Um, after my organizing work in Youngstown, I had the opportunity to open a uh, my own business in downtown, which was like a extension or evolution of Defend Youngstown. It became kind of like a community information center, a merchandise place, all this stuff. So people would just come to my store um, and to learn about what was going on, how they could get involved. And that was a really awesome thing. I did that for about three to four years. I also served as a consultant at the same time at Youngstown State. In their journalism program, they had gotten a grant from the Knight Foundation to do investigative journalism stories, nitty gritty issues in the neighborhoods. And so I was working with students and staff and faculty about how to surface those ideas, how to go deep, you know, what the right sources were, what the right angles were. And that was really awesome. And then um, about when that grant ended, that project ended, I got offered a job as the downtown, as the associate director for the downtown CDC. So I lived downtown. It kind of made sense. Um, so I was, you know, I, I was, I had a very deep understanding and was committed to the work in the neighborhoods, um, was a small business owner, kept the business going, but then also was working in the downtown capacity and all those different types of, you know, challenges and approaches. So kind of saw the whole spectrum in Youngstown and, uh, it was, it was really, really, uh, really, really great work. And it actually led to my opportunity in Cleveland because as I was doing a lot of that work, I got to know a lot of people in Cleveland in that network. And about three years ago, I got offered a job at uh, what is now, it used to be called Detroit Shoreway Community Development Organization. It's now Northwest Neighborhoods, three neighborhoods, Cadell, Edgewater, and Detroit Shoreway. And I'm the special projects manager, which means I do, I'm like the Swiss Army Knight of community development. I do, I manage the um, business improvement district. I work on green space initiatives, public infrastructure projects. I'm the tree canopy guy. I present cases to the planning commission, uh, housing related cases, all kinds of things. So it's just been, uh, you know, taking all that experience from Youngstown, from grassroots organizing to downtown development, to uh, even the journalism aspect, you know, all of that plays into the work I do here in Cleveland now. Phil, I wonder if I can ask you a follow-up that kind of pulls on this thread of your military service, because I, I think that a lot of us associate, you know, people that have served in the military, often it's not unusual for them to run for like, public office, but I don't think that um, it's kind of a, a natural assumption that the, they'll develop uh, into community organizers. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about how, you know, how did your military service kind of shape and, you know, this understanding of and maybe even your connection to a community? Sure, that's a really good question. And quite honestly, it was a challenge for me when I was uh, doing organizing work because in the military, the military does a great job of developing you to be a leader you to be out front to create the plan you know to rally the literally rally the troops and execute things but in community organizing the the idea is to be able to identify other community leaders develop them and have them lead a lot of the campaigns and the work and so um that was always a challenge and in particular in relation to smaller older industrial cities a lot of the neighborhood and community leadership is just you know it's it's really fragile and the the capacity is not significant and a lot of times you're dealing you're you're working with folks that are um older um or maybe work multiple jobs have have several kids that are just you know wanting to get involved and so they oftentimes will lean on you as an organizer to take more of a leadership role to kind of set up a lot of the work and help them you know kind of push it forward so um, that is somewhat antithesis to how community organizing traditionally is supposed to work, but that's the reality of work in, uh, uh, in neighborhood organizing in a lot of these older industrial cities. The neighborhoods I work in now, uh, the three neighborhoods, th that is kind of the other end of the spectrum where um, the leadership, the neighborhood leadership is strong, but organizing is you know, arguably weak uh, because of the fact that it's not really issue-based or activist -y. It's more 
kind of within the context of community development corporations, which is, I, I would describe it more as community engagement, you know, so you're, you're basically working with existing block clubs and leadership, which is pretty strong to basically talk about programs and things like that, that are ongoing and trying to plug them into that. So um, very two different, very different things. And that was also a, a big transition challenge uh, for me here. So yeah, it was coming out of the military, a total different type of approach you know to leadership in general um learning that uh community organizing which i thought was um just fascinating not fascinating like from a uh intellectual perspective but just the things that you learn personally about yourself and that what you find that other people are capable of actually accomplishing when you're able to kind of collectively work together and surface that leadership and push it forward and then coming to a place like cleveland where there's a lot of solid community leadership that exists and trying to work within the context of 40 years of community development that's already been in place and how you make those two things work while still trying to be agitational and get things done. You know, it's a fine line balance. Now you, uh, when you were talking earlier, were saying that, right, that you, so you were originally a neighborhood organizer in Youngstown, Ohio, um, and before you moved here to Cleveland. And I'm wondering, I mean, Youngstown is not Cleveland. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> they, 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 they look pretty different, right? Um, right? So I'm just, I'm wondering, what does neighborhood organizing look like in kind of smaller cities uh, like Youngstown? Well, you know, I would, it's a really, um, it, it's a neighborhood by neighborhood situation. So even in a place like Youngstown, there are some neighborhoods that are stronger than other neighborhoods. There are some neighborhoods that have, that are just, you know, they are, are, have seen significant decline and there just isn't a lot of um, capacity there in some of these neighborhoods. And so trying to um, work in some of those really, really, um, you know, uh, neighborhoods that have seen drastic decline, I'm talking about going back to like the 1950s, this has been a precipitous decline and there's not, you know, there's maybe 20% uh, of people uh, still living in that neighborhood that lived there, you know, 40, 50 years ago. That, that's a real challenge. Um, and what it really looks like on the ground is basically there's no shortcuts to it. I mean, it's the old block and tackle where you're going, you're going door to door, you're doing tons and tons of one-to-ones. Um, and oftentimes, you know, just to even get a small group going, to keep it going, I found myself out there month after month, for several years, knocking on the same doors, handing flyers out. I mean, it's just old school. And you you end up with, you know, a, probably a core group of uh, any neighborhood I worked in, there's always about 20, 25, 30 people that are always going to be the people that are going to participate. And um, in some neighborhoods, you know, it's smaller, but there's always some nucleus of people that care. What I found is the best strategy for sustainability when it comes to neighborhood organizing is you got to blend the, the approach, meaning that some people, they don't want to come to a block club meeting. You know, they, they might feel intimidated by that. They might not feel like they belong there. Um, but uh, if there's some kind of an issue, let's say there, there was an instance of crime, there's break-ins or something, you know, you're going to get a larger uh, turnout. So some people do want to participate based on reactionary situations, like things like that crime. Other people want to participate for more proactive things. They want to plan a social event. They want to do something like that. They want to write a grant. They want to work on a project. They want to see something tangible get done. And then the last third is trying to create space that has no formality to any of the organizing work in the neighborhood at all, which is, you know, your block club parties, things like that, things that are just open invitations to the neighborhood. And I had to work with existing block clubs that were not doing a great job of that for many, many years to kind of get them to reset and rethink about how to approach this. And then where I was working with new neighborhood groups, I was working on conducting essentially trainings for all new leaders in Youngstown about, you know, kind of how to think about these organizing, you know, the approach to either their block clubs or however they, they think of themselves as organized. And over time, as that got to be a better practice, we saw a better and better turnout and those groups were more sustainable. And so if you, those groups that did that, blended those three things uh, really well. Those are the groups that to this day are still in existence in Youngstown. When I started, there were 19 block club groups. In four years, there was about 40 to 45 when we were done. And again, varying degrees of capacity, but um, the ones that are still around today are the ones that do a really good job of what I just described. So that's kind of what it looks like. And again, like in Cleveland, the difference there is that at least in the neighborhoods I work in, 
the, the talent is so high in, in some of these, the, these neighborhoods. Uh, I mean, like, I'm just being blunt about it, but I mean, like a block club leader in a neighborhood that I work in now is probably arguably more talented than a council person in Youngstown. You know, they're just, they're, they, they just have a better understanding of the work broadly and what needs to happen. So, um, that's a whole separate conversation, by the way, is working with council in context of smaller mm-hmm. industrial city and neighborhood organizing versus Cleveland, where the relationship is uh, very strong and uh, it, you could argue maybe unhealthy at times. Uh, so, but um, in Youngstown, it's the other other end of the spectrum. Council people push back on the organizing initially because they saw that as a threat to their own kind of, you know, words are very small there and they haven't changed since the 1920s. So I think in older industrial cities, organizing can be perceived as um, a political threat to them until you get them to understand that um, if you're really a good council person and you're really interested in working through problems and issues, organizing can be helpful as long as you have a healthy mindset about the fact that you're going to get challenged at times, but at other times you can be a great ally on things because things will get prioritized for you. You'll have community support for those things. So um, that is a, a, another distinctive difference between older and, and smaller city, you know, organizing. Quick follow-up on that is, I mean, do you feel like some of the, and I'm just thinking because smaller cities, I think are probably that they look a little bit different when it comes to, right, um, uh, on the political spectrum. They fall in a different area than in bigger cities. And I'm wondering if you think that um, that there's some sort of, partisan nature of accepting or or willingness to work with community organizers? Or is it really just that in smaller cities, there isn't, there aren't as many people with as many hours in the day to dedicate and to devote to community organizing as there are in larger cities? Yeah, I think it's really more of the latter. You know, I I just think that capacity is stretched um, when it comes to, um, you know, again, like with, with council related things, but council people in smaller industrial cities are, are technically part-time positions as well. So in effect, they are basically just kind of like super block club leaders, you know, uh, or, you know, ward leaders of sorts. And a lot of times the local political party kind of determines who that per- council person is going to be. One of the initial goals of our organizing was to actually develop true grassroots neighborhood leadership that would aspire eventually to these roles in council. And um, while we attempted to do that, um, we we found that, you know, your local council person, whenever they're getting ready to exit their seat, within six months before an election, they could go around to all those precinct committee people and just say, this is the person I want. And it trumped four years of doing neighborhood organizing. It's that, uh, it's you know, it's that challenging at that level. Um, so um, it didn't undermine, though, uh, the work. The work continued and, the you know, that neighborhood leadership um, continued to foster and new leadership cycled in. So, I, but I, it always is, it is always limited by the fact that the folks, um, particularly in these older industrial, smaller cities are, are just, uh, the assets are not as great, you know, I mean, as far as the resources, you know, they're just, there's philanthropic support. It's not as significant. Um, there's not, a, you know, we were very fortunate in Youngstown to have a foundation that wanted to fully fund community organizing. I mean, that's an anomaly. You just do not see that. Uh, in Cleveland, that started in the 70s, um, and then it got too agitational, and that's actually what then led to the formation of community development corporations because they viewed it as a little bit more safe. Um, but in Youngstown, you know, there was neither organizing or community development capacity for ever, uh, and it really began in kind of like the mid to late 2000s, and it, it, we had a foundation who was willing to kind of invest in it, and so it was fairly anomalous. And um, but. Um, you still you were working within the context of of people and community leaders that just were limited with their time and and uh but there was enough of a nucleus to kind of get things done I, the other side of it is that young sons of city is sixty five thousand people so if you put together a core group of 20 people neighborhood leaders citywide i mean you can get a lot of stuff done you can really push a lot of key legislation we took busloads of neighborhood leaders down to columbus to get things like the land bank passed and all different types of things. I, I even had a meeting in the White House uh, when the NS, when the uh, neighborhood stabilization funds after the recession came out, and we had neighborhood leaders come down there. Those were transformative experiences for community leaders. Those are things that they otherwise never would have been had a seat at those tables. Sitting down with the head, the sec- secretary of HUD, telling their story 
about the foreclosure crisis. I mean, that was very powerful. We had the, the HUD secretary, Sean Donovan, cried uh, when he heard uh, from a neighborhood leader uh, from the east side of Youngstown, uh, an African-American lady uh, who had been living in her neighborhood for 60 years and was stuck it out and just really tough. But um, that was th some really um, powerful things that can still happen, even within the context of that limited community capacity. So actually had a follow-up question um, that I'm just going to read in our chat here. So as I was asking my questions about, about you know, partisan or, or political nature of this, she also had a very, I think, a, a astute question, which was wondering about the nature of unions. And then, right, so unions do engage in a lot of community organizing, um, but as unions and, and jobs have also left, you know, some of these um, cities, did they take organizing with them? And maybe that can help us understand some of the um, reason for loss of capacity there. Yeah, sure. Um, I can tell you from my experience that union or the unions were not really uh, involved in the type of organizing we did. There was a lot of faith-based organizing that existed prior to the Mahoning Valley Organizing Club, which is the organization I worked with or worked for. Um, they, they had been doing quite a bit of work um, in, you know, more or less, I would say, as kind of a volunteer capacity, they had a part-time director. That was really the extent of um, any other type of um, organized group, like participating in the type of work that we were doing. I think the labors came, the labor organizing work was certainly much more prominent um, back in the early 80s, throughout the 80s, when the mills were closing and there were various efforts to organize. Um, Stoughton Lind is a longtime activist, labor organizer who is, still lives in Youngstown and was involved in a blend of different types of organizing. I think he's one person you could point to where that he, he kind of crossed multiple sectors there of that work. But the work that we did and the reason why the Mahoney Valley Organizing Collaborative was formed was that we understood we need we knew that faith based organizing alone was not enough. We had to have more of a blend of traditional neighborhood organizing in some institutional organizing, but labor really never really factored into it that much. I think if we would have got into bigger issues, things that were affecting more from an economic standpoint, I, I think that probably would have been um, a point where we would have really deeply engaged the unions. Um, but most of our stuff, because we were just, you know, starting from ground zero, it was, um, you know, what we, after hundreds and hundreds of ones to one across the city, you know, the, obviously one of the top issues at that time was like vacant property. You know, it was just it was just decimating every neighborhood and everything from arsons, crime, property value devaluation, people not being able to get insurance on their homes, just everything you can think of, just cancer cells everywhere. So that was where we started. And of course, that doesn't really uh, speak to the union organizing work all that much. You know, that's a very kind of localized issue within the municipality of like Youngstown, Warren and others. So um I think maybe as we would have matured the work a bit more um, and we got into broader economic like stuff, I think we would definitely would have um, probably engaged unions a little bit more. It's just that we were really on the neighborhood level, you know, going block by block with just those light quality of life issues. So, um, uh, but Youngstown does have a great history of, of uh, organized uh, union labor. Uh, there's some great books I could recommend. I'll put them in the uh, show notes. Um, books that I read before I started organizing, it really kind of informed the way that I thought about the history of, you know, uh, not just labor, but just organizing in general in Youngstown. That's fantastic. Thank you for following up on that, because I was just really curious um, about that relationship. Um, so you are currently a special project manager for Northwest Neighborhoods, CDC in Cleveland. Um, and one of your projects is working with the Gordon Square Special Improvement District. So this is kind of a nuts and bolts question, but what is a special improvement district and what type of work are you doing? <laughs> yes, good question. Um, so a special improvement district is an area where property owners, uh, usually businesses, it usually involves a commercial district. Uh, they pay basically an extra tax uh, on their property tax bill for extra services. These are services that are not going to be provided by the city of Cleveland. Uh, they're, you know, beyond their basic level of service. So for example, um, this would be like beautification. So maybe landscaping, better lighting, um, maybe security, um, money for special events, 
things like that, improvements to things like benches and, um, uh, you know, bicycle facilities and all those kind of things. So um, this is something that's kind of exploded in the last, I'd say, 10 years in Northeast Ohio, not just Cleveland, is the development of all these special improvement districts as different parts of different, you know, the different cities um, have developed. They primarily started in the downtowns. So it's in Cleveland, it started in downtown. Downtown Cleveland Alliance is the is a downtown special improvement district. In Akron, it's uh, downtown Akron Partnership, I believe. And then uh, as other neighborhoods have begun to develop, uh, these have formed in other neighborhoods as well. In downtown Youngstown, they're trying to form one and I'm serving in a kind of, you know, I'm trying to help as I can there from a consultation perspective, just because I worked at that CDC and I'm now manager of the one here in Gordon Square. But to that end, uh, in Gordon Square, this began about 10 years ago, our special improvement district, when they raised $30 million to kind of improve the Gordon Square area. So they they pumped a lot of money into the three theaters uh, in this in the district. They did a whole new streetscape plan, uh, which leveraged actually a lot of investment. And now, you know, I think most people are from Northeast Ohio, at least, are familiar with Gordon Square and how you know vibrant it is. But uh, some of the secret to that success is the fact that 10 years ago, the property owners here decided to basically tax themselves and create the special improvement district. So I'm the manager of this whole freaking thing. And so that means that um, I have to do everything from, um, you know, manage all the vendors, all aspects of the work. Uh, I run the board meetings. Uh, we do have a, it's a 501c3. It's so nonprofit organization that consists of property owners, the council person and city representatives. But I, I handle the governance work there. Um, I do, uh, you know, help with some of the programming. I run the budget. I even patch potholes when needed, you know, so I do, I am out there doing it all. And I really like it because it's kind of like being like a mini CDC director in a way, but with like a guaranteed revenue stream, which is nice. I'm not out there having to shake down, um, you know, grants every year to make this stuff happen. Uh, that being said, these things have to be renewed like every five years and it is an epic, um, undertaking uh, because, you know, property owners change. Some of them don't know really what about it. They just see this thing on their tax bill, they pay it. But so you kind of, it's like a constant um, uh, marketing campaign every five years to, you know, to uh, let property owners know that, you know, here's the value of what you, your dollars got you over the course of five years. So I, fortunately, when I started, um, I did have some help in uh, kind of getting uh, onboarded, but we were immediately in the midst of a renewal campaign. So I had to learn the job and learn all of this stuff, learn Cleveland and how city hall works too, for all these services while also simultaneously running a renewal campaign. So happy to report that was all successful. We got the renewal and we actually expanded. So that was very cool, but it's one of the hats that I wear as special permit, uh, special project director. And it's probably, it, it's takes up most of my time, but it's the coolest. Cause it's like, you really learn about, everything you really learn about how all, all aspects of uh, neighborhood stuff works somewhat like so as you're talking part of me is thinking that sounds nothing like organizing right where you're working with businesses you're thinking about economic development in a very like institutional framework and on the flip side you're talking about like you know instead of door knocking <laughs> you're patching the streets and like the range in terms of the activities um, seems, you know, huge. In what ways is it like organizing? Uh, ooh, boy, I, the, like when issues come up, you know, I, <laughs> I feel like that's very similar to like a, you know, a block club approach and you're saying like, Hey, this, this thing happened. How are we going to deal with this? You know, except for now you're dealing with property owners who are actually paying money into this program. And they're usually business owners and business owners have a single focus, which is like, how do you solve for my problem and my need? Whereas maybe a neighborhood block club group is, you know, it's more collective. I do have to pull some of my organizing skills from back in the day, you know, when I'm, when I'm trying to, you know, think through the, these issues. But it actually pulls more experience from when I was the associate director of the downtown CDC in Youngstown. It's much more comparable to that. And when I was there too, I organized the, basically what would be the equivalent of a, a business association group that, that's, that met quarterly. And we kind of did similar things, you know, worked on, talked about similar issues. We just didn't have the revenue that we have, you know, to do the work here now. So uh, that, those are the similarities. The issue-based, you know, I go back to my neighborhood <laughs> organizing days, but as far as um, dealing with actual property business owners and all their needs and how a, down, how a commercial district functions, 
Um, it's from my CDC days for the downtown CDC in Youngstown. Absolutely. So I, this is similar, you know, follow up, but on a, you know, different from a different perspective. So there is also an argument that special improvement districts can make cities or communities less competitive for locating businesses, right? Like, because you're basically agreeing to pay more money to have this special improvement district. How do you respond to that? Is that true? Well, I mean, in our case, it hasn't been true. I, I think that um, it hasn't deterred anyone from wanting to start a business in the district because they're going to have to pay this extra tax. I think that um, all the services provided create a, uh, you know, like kind of a really attractive situation because they know that the garbage, the trash is going to be picked up regularly. You know, if if there's some any issue with, you know, infrastructure or something like they all, all they got to do is call like me and then I'm going to be on it um, to even like parking management, you know, like making sure that there's flow there. So there's like, I think there's peace of mind in sense for business owners that are in these districts that it's like, Hey, I got an organization that's got my back. Like, you know, I'm paying into this thing and collectively there's, there's cost savings involved quite honestly. Cause like, like snow removal, for example, every property owner is like responsible for that themselves. But if everybody chips in on this assessment, it's, you know, covered, you know, everybody gets that uniformly done. Uh, it's cheaper overall. And uh, that applies to other things too, like the beautification, the landscaping, the holiday lights, the regular lights, the security patrolling, all of that stuff is like way more cost efficient than every property owner, like paying this separately for this. So um, uh, I think in downtown Cleveland's, I, I can't think of a neighborhood in Cleveland in particular where a special district improvement district has formed that it's deterred businesses. I know that there are, there's always some that just vote no on it, you know? So, I mean, you got to get 60% of property owners to agree to this in a contiguous area. So there's, and it's always right at about 60. So you always got 40 that are like, nah, I'm good. Um, but, uh, you know, so even within the district itself, there, there is a contingent, there's a minority that's like, nah, I don't want to do this. But, you know, that's kind of how it goes. But I would say in Gordon Square's case, it's been a net positive. You know, I think it's, it's been good. And I mean, we've renewed it twice now. So that should in some way um, speak to, how, you know, how business property owners, business owners feel about, feel about, you know, the value of it. Yeah. It's almost like there's like some sort of benefit to living as a society or community. Um. <laughs> well, there's, that's funny you mentioned that because there's, I, I read on Twitter, you know, it's like, why can't the whole city just be a SID, you know, a special <laughs> We need all these services. You know, it's kind of a, for us SID managers, we, we probably laugh about that. We're like, yeah, you know, it is kind of great, like, you know, to have the ability to have those things just get done that should just be getting done. But yeah, it's nice. You would think. So now on a, a slightly different uh, topic, you are a PhD student at Cleveland State uh, at the Levin, Levine School. Um, and I'm curious, what drew you to, are you a masochist? No. <laughs> what, what drew you <laughs> to studying urban affairs and decide, hey, I've got to get my PhD? Boy, that's a good question. This might come into... Uh I, there, there's some, some of it's personal, some of it's professional. So my family, I was one of the first people in my family to be able to go to college. And, um, my grandfather who, you know, essentially raised me when my father passed away at a young age. Um, you know, he really pushed education. You know, he's somebody who worked 40 years in a steel mill and he just really highly valued all of us, all of his grandkids trying to pursue as much education as they could. I'm 42 years old. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. And um, I am in a position where I can pursue something like this, where I can, you know, attempt to, you know, really continue like trying to max out my education basically in my, as much as I, I possibly can. Um, because this, I know like this work that I'm doing is definitely what I want to do for the rest of my life. I know that. And what I would like to be able to do for maybe the last third of my career is to be as credentialed as possible to be able to try to make as much impact as I can on more of a systemic level. Because as a frontline practitioner, you really understand the issues at a nitty gritty level. But where you know where I think the real game change happens is at the policy level, um, and even at the instructional level. You know, I so I got the guest lecture in a lot of classes at Youngstown State when I was in Youngstown. There was really like no better. Uh, rewarding type feeling than to have like 20 young people in front of you and you talking about your work 
And just seeing like those people light up and them not understanding that even this is a profession, like, you know, what is city planning? What is community development? What is this world? We didn't even know that this was like an actual profession. And over the course of time, you know, 15 years of doing that over years in Youngstown, there has been a number of of kids that were in those classes. I was one of them at one point in time that ended up, you know, like that was the light switch for them. And they ended up getting into this line of work and they're doing the work now. And, you know, they're my colleagues. And so, um, uh, I, I would like to, the reason, part of the reason is, is, is because I, I want to take advantage of the fact that I'm, I have the ability to pursue this. Um, I, and it, from, a, from my family's perspective, I, I feel like I'm honoring them in that sense. Um, but also I, I want to be as credentialed as I can so that I can, whatever opportunity may happen, uh, down the road, it could be teaching, it could be, um, you know, working at a high level in city government or, or in policy, maybe even at the state level or beyond. I just want to be able to make the most systemic change possible. And I think that uh, Levin in particular, Cleveland State, has a great program. And uh, I really uh, have gotten to know a number of the faculty uh, doing this work over the years. And it just it just felt like a really great fit. And so actually, I begin this semester. This is the beginning for me. And so it's going to be quite a long journey, but um, I'm really excited about it. And so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the reasons, too, that moving to Cleveland it was a goal uh, when I took this job was I felt like I would be in position to be able to pursue something like this. And unfortunately, I work for a great CDC that's totally supportive of this. They're, they're, they're making my work schedule as flexible as possible, although, you know, it's still going to be insane. But I mean, they're, they're, they haven't said like, hey, no, we don't think you could do both things. Not only have they said like, we believe that you can do it, we're going to help you fund it. And so um, for all those reasons, you know, that's, that's why I'm pursuing it. And uh, I'm excited about it. That's awesome. Um, you know, coming from two PhDs, the, you know, <laughs> we're on the end going, oh my goodness. <laughs> but we get it like 100% get uh, neither one of us were traditional, um, traditional in terms of just out of undergrad um, uh, PhD students. So uh, in terms of having the work experience and then deciding, you know what? I'd like to try this out. That resonates with the two of us. And I'm speaking um, for Casey because I know that's true. <laughs> and she just gave me the thumbs up. Um, um, but, but I do uh, actually want to pivot again uh, because we really like to pivot on the podcast um, because we heard that you are an avid runner. And in fact, this question is what inspired us to initially reach out to you um, because we're like this story and we need to talk about it Um, in part because Casey and I run. uh, It's been a little while, but (laughs) Um, but we're really interested to learn about how you decided to run Cleveland. Um, And and tell us a little bit about this this project because I'm not going to do it justice by trying to um, kind of frame it on my own. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yes, I am an avid runner. Uh, I probably run maybe like three or four times a week. So when I say avid, I am still kind of like a recreational runner. I'm not like a serious runner. I'll do a few races a year. I did my first marathon last year. Um, so there are a number of run groups in Cleveland that meet during the week. And that's usually, you know, where I plug in, I, I kind of join these groups, get my miles in, but it's also social. And so, um, during the winter months, uh, I w- typically I would run on a treadmill. I, uh, there's a gym in the neighborhood that I went to, but then when the pandemic started, uh, you know, the gyms were closed and, um, I started to run routes in my own neighborhood and I just got bored with them, quite frankly. And I read about a guy, I was reading the post-gazette in Pittsburgh and there was a guy who was trying to run every street in Pittsburgh and having grown up in that area, I thought, wow, this is like amazing. So I started following this guy's webpage but it was really kind of, um, it was great, but he was summarizing like his runs ev- like every month. And it was really a lot of metrics and, you know, there were just like a handful of photos and I was like, this is cool. Um, but man, this would be really fun project to do in Cleveland. And so I kind of figured like, well, I'm bored with the running that I'm doing in you know my own neighborhood. I have a natural interest in learning every conceivable thing I can about any place I live in. Let's marry the two things. And so I started by, you know, uh, just starting like kind of in my own neighborhood 
and taking a lot of photos initially. That's kind of my side passion is like, if I wasn't doing this work, I would probably try to pursue a career path in like photojournalism, documentary filmmaking. Like that's my side thing. I'm not good at it, but like, I just love it. So this is my outlet for that as well. So I created a blog and what I essentially was doing was logging all of every, every run that I did in each neighborhood. But I was going deep on the research of like every landmark, every park, every notable business, every church, what's the history? What is the snapshot in time right now of like what's going on on this street by street? So I started doing this. It was just kind of like for myself. I was sharing it on my own social media and it just like kind of became like the people that were following this were like really into it. And um, uh, actually an old Youngstown connection came into play here. There was a reporter who I had a good relationship with in Youngstown when I was you know, doing that work. She had took a job here at News 5 in Cleveland, was on my social media feed. And she's like, hey, this is awesome. I'm going to pitch this to my folks and see if they might want to do a story on you. I said, all right, cool. Yeah, if you want to do that. So they did it. And um, when that story launched, it just, you know, it just blew up. And um, a lot of the other media in Cleveland, you know, they kind of followed suit. They did stories. And then, um, then it started to go beyond Cleveland. And uh, I was working with a film crew for PBS, PBS NewsHour. They had, I, when I was in Youngstown, they were filming a three-year uh, documentary on the CDC in Youngstown. And I, they were getting ready to launch the um, documentary. And uh, I was helping them with kind of marketing and, uh, you know, things like that. And they said, hey, listen, we know you live in Cleveland now, but given the fact that you know Cleveland and Youngstown so well, if you have any story ideas, we would love, you know, for you to stay in touch, pitch them to us. I pitched them the story about Cleveland's urban tree canopy and the crisis that we're faced with that. They thought that was a really interesting idea for a story. And they said, we'd love to do that. We're going to do it. But when we come to cities, we want to do two or three stories that we can kind of do throughout the year, like spread it out a little bit. And they said, we would, you know, we've been following your running project. Would you be interested in us doing that? And I said, wow, you know, I mean, if you think it's like national newsworthy, like, sure, you know, let's do it. And we did it. And as uh, soon as it launched, I mean, it, it just, you know, subscription rates on the blog just went like through the roof. I still get messages every day from people throughout the entire United States. Some people that have, I mean, a lot of them have no connection to Cleveland. They just love following the blog and it inspires them. They're doing it in their own towns or cities now. And uh, so that's kind of how it started. And I'm about 63 runs in. I've done about a quarter of the city so far. I've done the entire near West side. I'm in West park. Um, and I'm trying to get as much as in before I start the PhD program. Cause I know like when that starts, it's like, now I got to fit, like, you know, I'm going to try to fit running in, in all this too. So um, it does take a lot of time. I will tell you that it takes a good week of research um, to just do one run. The running is actually the easiest part. Just going out there and doing the runs is, is um, uh, probably the least intensive thing, believe it or not. Uh, and then taking all, the photos and editing all the photos and then all the post editing production and going back and doing more research on the stuff you found when you did the run, but it's been a really fun project. And, um, you know, people are really into it. And so that's motivating because it's not easy. Like on a day today, we look out the window, you know, it's 18 degrees and it's an inch of snow and I got to finish my research tonight because tomorrow morning I got to put 13 miles in on the Jefferson neighborhood, uh, you know, and document all this stuff. And it, it's going to be pretty chilly. So that's, that's kind of the, uh, snapshot of, of, you know, the whole running project. There's something, I mean, aside from, uh, you know, conducting the research that you do ahead of time, which is, uh, uh, you know, obviously above and beyond, but there's something special about running that I don't think you can know a community as well as you can once you've run it. That there's something that you really learn about a space and a place and a people when you've run that community. Um, and maybe even that that makes or has some impact on your ability to be a good community or neighborhood organizer. I wonder if you have thoughts on that. I absolutely agree with you. Um, I think when you look at a city like that in such a granular level, um, and especially when you're doing the research, it's like seeing the matrix in a neighborhood. You know, you <laughs> that's the best way I can describe it to people. I, there's not one street that I go to in a neighborhood where I don't know about, you know, something significant about that, you know, whether it's the, why the street was named the way it is, or, you know, the history of a particular building or a church or whatever. I'm like the most annoying person among my friends. Like, cause anytime they're in a car at me, you know, I just cannot shut up about like, Oh, did you know this? Did you know this? You're like, God damn it. We know we read the blog for Christ's sake. So, um, 
you know, it, there's, there's a, there's an element to it where it can be overwhelming at times, but, but, um, it's, it's just amazing. And honestly, I mean, I, I could live here for the rest of my life in these neighborhoods and, um, never know, um, the things that I knew unless I was doing this running project. And quite honestly, that's a lot of the feedback I get from residents too, is they, you know, they're following this. They're like, I've lived in this neighborhood my entire life. I did not know like 80% of the stuff that you wrote about. And this is my section of this neighborhood. So, um, that's really cool. And then it's also cool getting in from that feedback from those folks saying like, Hey, by the way, did you know this? And then you learn, you know, that much more. And because it's a blog, I can go back and edit it. So I'll just add that information. If somebody reads that, they send me a tidbit, you know, I go back and edit it and add it to it. Cause what I'm hoping at the end of this, um, whenever I finish, I'm going to have like, basically like a citizen's guide, you know, encyclopedia to Cleveland, at least for a snapshot in time over, you know, several year period. And um, I'm hoping that I can somehow take this content from the blog and make it more interactive, whether it's like an app, that's a map that you can click on all the landmarks of things that I've noted. And just so, you know, people can like more easily access this. I think that might be cool. Um, but we'll see. I got to get through it all first. But uh, um, it's just so far, it's been a really fun project. And I've learned a lot from my own research, but just all the different people that I've engaged with, you know, that are following it. That's fantastic. It seems like such a great book concept to me. Like, by the way, we're, I'm totally plugging like Anne here and, and yes. Belt. It seems like, like an amazing opportunity. Um, they're going to be like, stop, Ashley, stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, right. um, but it sounds, I, I mean, just the work that you're doing is so intriguing to me. Um, and we could talk forever about it, um, but we've already been talking for a long time about all of the amazing things that you've been doing. Um, so I want to ask, um, really quickly, uh, kind of this big picture question that we ask in this series, what does political and civic engagement mean to you? Boy, hmm. well, I would say that, um, le levels of civic participation vary person to person and circumstance by circumstance. One thing that when I was younger and started out doing this work was that, that I have a lot that I've shedded is that I used to get super frustrated with why like every person I met wasn't voting, wasn't involved in their neighborhood block club, wasn't coming to this cleanup project, wasn't, you know, just didn't even read the newspaper, didn't know what was going on. And the, the grassroots neighborhood organizing work taught me that there are so many reasons why people are disengaged. Sometimes the least of which is that they just, you know, or, you know, just so sick and tired of politics or the local, whatever. I found that that is actually not the case for a lot of people. A lot of people just have super busy lives. And a lot of people, particularly in these smaller districts are just trying to survive. You know, they're not thinking about, what's going on, you know, in their neighborhood, unless there's some problem, some issue, they're trying to pay the freaking electric bill this month. And they got three kids that are, you know, there, there's a medical bill. Somebody's mother is dying of cancer and, you know, they're trying to work a full-time job and take care of that person. There, there's all these circumstances. So I think that civic engagement, political engagement, involvement um, is all about is on our side of things as engagers, as connectors, has to be really trying to meet people where they're at. And there are some basic things that I think should be requ not required, but expected of, of everyone. And I, I do think that um, registering to vote um, and trying to make an effort to vote is probably the is probably a minimum standard, I would say. But um, and, and that work is you know forever ongoing too. It's just trying to get people registered to vote, and it's very critical, important work. Um, and I think there's a lot of better ways that we can do that. There's a lot more, there's, there's just a lot more efficient ways. There's better use technology, but, um, for the individual person, it goes back to what I was, I learned as a neighborhood organizer, trying to blend the things of trying to get people involved. Those are the lessons, the critical lessons I learned is civic engagement, political participation. There's different entry points across the spectrum. It, for some people, it's as simple as a block party and having someone there talk about a local issue or somebody they trust, you know, even their pastor there to just maybe talk about something or have a, a sign up booth for voter registration. That might be the extent in which you're going to be able to engage with someone. 
Whereas there are other people that um, I found that are very, want to be very engaged and they have the ability to be very engaged. And for whatever reason, they haven't. And um, when those people are approached and challenged a little bit, that I found that those people will step up and they will participate um, in things, whether it's just even like a, a, a organizing a project at a neighbor level, those things are pathways to larger involvement where they might take on, they might want to get involved in an issue campaign citywide for, you know, pick your issue. Um, uh, that then leads to other things. Those, those people end up maybe becoming a precinct committee person and running for council. I've seen all of it. I've seen all of it from people that were not engaged whatsoever. And so I think that um, it, the, the sum it up, political engagement is something that is all about identifying people's needs, meeting them where they're at, finding entry points for them at where they're at, um, and, and not getting overly frustrated about that, but constantly keeping the pressure on to get people more engaged and challenging yourself to find new ways in which you can, you can get involved. Someone like us, people like us, someone like myself are like uber engaged, you know, like we are not the standard. We are nowhere near the standard of level of engagement. We are the anomalies. Um, and so we have to constantly remind ourselves that people are way over here on the southern end of the spectrum. And put yourself back when you were a 22-year-old college student. And I don't know, you showed up for your first student government meeting at college because, like, you know, some dude you liked who was on the student government ballot, you know, what, like there was some issue that they were all about and you wanted to help them out with that you know like that was your in, that was your entry point for a larger understanding a larger consciousness of like things on campus and then beyond campus and all that so um i don't know if i have one easy answer i would just say in some that you got to meet people where they're at there's different levels of engagement for every single person so much of it has to do with grassroots there's no freaking shortcuts at all you got to be out there on the ground um doing this really block and tackle stuff and that will in time surface more and more people getting more and more involved I, that's the solution on the local level i think or the approach i should say on the local level on the national level and beyond i mean i don't know if any of us had the answers for that uh, <laughs> if we did Fair. you know right um but being that this is growing you know democracy is kind of a grassroots organizing thing i i think that um that's where it's at i it, it's just constant engagement on the on the on the grassroots level keep providing those opportunities. I don't even care if it's just so, you know, block club parties with voter registration tables, just constant drip, 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 engagement, 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 keep creating space for people to get involved. That's our charge. That's our challenge. But then, you know, holding people accountable of, you know, making sure that, um, you know, it, that, that, that people are, you know, there's follow-ups with people saying like, Hey, did, did you know, like your voting precinct is here? Like, you know, did you register? Yeah. That's all part of, the other side of it too. So um, yeah. yeah, that's what yeah. I'd say. Creating space for people to show up and then encouraging them to stay accountable to showing up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That, that's it. Excellent. So as you know, we're at the end of the podcast. Um, and one of the things, you know, we like to end with is just, you know, you having the opportunity to provide us with, any final words of wisdom? What do you want our listeners to, you know, take away from our conversation today? Well, I always, when I, anybody that I have a relationship with or, or talk to about anything civic is I, I kind of ask them, I, I try to f figure out like what their interest is, their self-interest, you know, going back to organizing. But my challenge to them is always like, you know, I always because I'm so involved in so many things, I know there's always something that someone that I talk to that's not that involved is there's something out there for them to be interested in. And so maybe the people that listen to this, this particular podcast are already kind of like pretty involved. Um, but I guarantee you that even those people that are listening, there's something more that they could probably be doing. And even that might go back to what we were just talking about, which is how can they volunteer to get other people more involved? That's, where we need as much help as possible. There is not enough, we'll never have enough people like during voter registration drives and things like that to do that work. That's something you can, everybody can ded dedicate like a few hours to at minimum every election cycle. There's always some local issue on the ballot 
that you can educate yourself about and you might have a position on. And uh, social media is good. I mean, doing posts are nice, but that's your own ecosystem. Like that's the participation I'm talking about is getting out of that ecosystem and getting on the ground on the street. And so that's what I would say and leave people with is like, what is the thing? What is something, one thing, and everyone has one thing that they can do just one more step on. What's one more thing they can do? So um, that's probably what I would leave people with. Uh, think about that, reflect on it, challenge yourself because like we all got the one thing. I still even got it with all this stuff I'm doing. Like there are days where I go to bed at night and I'm like, man, I could have done this today. Like I could have put an hour in here. I could have done that, you know? And uh, again, understanding that people are busy and, but everybody's got one thing. They, everybody could take one step on, on one thing. There's no doubt about it. So that's what I'll leave everybody with. That's my challenge to the listeners. Thanks so much for joining us, Phil. And I'm going to go find my one thing right now. All right. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan, and with me as always is my co-host, Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery right here at Golden Ox Studio in Cleveland, Ohio. Our podcast is supported by our Patreon patrons. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. If you want to support the show, as well as get access to behind-the-scenes content, live chat, swag featuring designs by Donuts and Coffee, then head on over to patreon.com slash growingdemocracyoh. Join us next time when we continue this conversation about political and civic engagement.